Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about raising sociopaths. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm a child care provider, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we are talking about 1998's Wes Anderson classic Rushmore, a movie about a tiny monster who can't take no for an answer. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps so, so much. And as always, thank you and enjoy. I cannot wait until we can get stories from people who aren't like rich white kids telling stories about other rich white kids and how hard it is to be rich and white in the suburbs at a private school. I'm just so fucking over it. I hate Max Fisher with the burning intensity of a giant star of molten whatever. (laughs) you You were given a budget. You were given a green light, and this is the story you think is the one we need to hear? Yeah. Also, this is what you greenlit? Yeah. This is supposed to be a lovable character that we are supposed to resonate with? Yeah, it feels bad. It feels disgusting. I had to take a shower after watching this movie. I, like, felt all gross and slimy and... Ugh. Yeah. This is what we mean when we say all men. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking creeps. We mean fucking creeps. Yeah, apparently this is from Anderson's real life. He had a crush on an older... I didn't read the article. I don't care. Um, He had a crush on an older woman as a child. um, And so that's what this is based on. And it's also partially the story of how Owen Wilson got expelled from his like fancy prep school. Yeah. Like, again, I'm just like, I'm tired. I don't. I don't care about rich white boys. I don't care about your two rich white boys telling your rich white boy problems and how hard it is when you can't have a guaranteed ride to Princeton and you have to, like, go to a public school with the plebs and actually work to try and get that ride at Princeton and have, you know, your daddy give them a hundred million dollars or whatever. I'm just I'm just I'm very sick of it. Although just although, like from moment one, I was like, oh, I don't like any of you. I hate this entire universe. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, I am slightly grateful. I don't know how much credit I want to give Wes Anderson for this movie. We don't talk about how younger people can be the predators in relationships and be yeah. the problem. Right. And I do appreciate that that is something we're kind of talking about here. That's definitely an important thing to talk about, for sure. But he's forgiven. Yeah. Which is not okay. That's the thing, is like, this. I was thinking about this on the ride over here, where I think defenders of this movie will say, well, the movie understands what a bad person Max is. Does it? Does it though? Because it may exactly because a I don't think it does because continually it is it makes him seem cool and justified to do all of this crazy shit over a woman who has explicitly told him she is not interested and it at no point punishes or mentions that he should be punished. It just lets him off the hook and lets everything be fine. Because, again, in the world of rich white men, consequences don't exist. There's no such thing. We don't know her. You make choices and you do actions. Those have consequences, whether they're good or bad. But there are consequences to the choices you make and the things you do. You don't get to go running around building aquariums for women who told you no. Yeah. Like, the biggest problem he runs into is he gets expelled. And it's not because he's harassing a teacher. No. It's because he cuts down some trees and fucks up some ground. Yeah. Yeah. It just, like... 
Well, and because we know from like, and it's because he's been given so many chances. Yeah, because he just fucks off and does nothing and doesn't take his schoolwork seriously. No, absolutely not. And, like, he gets told that he's on thin ice, and we get the impression that this is not the first conversation that they've had about how he is on thin ice and he needs to get his act together. His little child best friend, which freaks me out, by the way. Yeah. His whole, all of the age gaps in this movie freak me out. Yeah. Wes Anderson seems to have a thing about age gaps in general, and it... It's weird. Leaves me skeevy. Yeah. Wes Anderson needs therapy, y'all. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, I feel like most of our directors need therapy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But this, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh huh. Anyway, there is an explicit conversation when he gets out of the principal's office about being on thin ice. That he's like, I'm. They're threatening to expel me, and his friend just goes again. Right. Like you've been here before, and you haven't fixed your shit again because consequences don't exist no and they should because this is what creates serial killers yeah and i mean like i have in my notes that like this kid in 2020 max fisher in 2022 is an incel like he's arming himself to mass murder a bunch of women in a shopping mall yeah absolutely he's exactly the type like he goes to school with a gun at one point. Yeah. Like, he is bringing weapons to school. And He's brings dynamite for a play. And, like, I get... I just, like... Okay, so I have this friend who is, like, super into Wes Anderson. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, this friend is a man. <laughs> yeah, I assume um, so. Uh... And I just can't not hear this voice, his voice in the back of my head saying, it's a cartoon. It's all over the top. But like, yes, these these movies are arch. They're over the top. They're like almost campy in like a cartoon way. But they they portray real situations that really happen and they still show no real consequences for the people in them. So I feel like we're going to get into this more as we get further into Wes Anderson's filmography. He gets more stylized mm-hmm. and we get more of the Wes Anderson feel for things. Uh-huh. And those over-the-top characters right. make more sense. Right. But for a Wes Anderson movie... This is very grounded. This is very grounded. There's not a lot of his like stylistic take on it. There are no other characters who are over the top that are helping us depict these as caricatures instead of just regular human right. beings. And it's also not like... It's not as if this movie is made from the inside of Max's head. So everything Max does seems bigger because... That's explicitly not the case. We see all kinds of stuff Max doesn't see, and like the movie doesn't like. No, we don't have broadcast that in any way. No, we have different perspectives than Max, and everyone writes him off as a harmless child, and he needs to be helped. Yeah, like half of my needs to be stopped. Yeah, he needs to be stopped. I was trying to be nice and say he needs to be locked up in a psych ward somewhere. Yeah. Um, because he I... Needs, yeah, he needs mandatory 72-hour help is what he needs. <laughs> um, I mean, he cuts the brakes to someone's car. Yeah. He purposely tries to hurt someone. Yeah, like Multiple that's, attempted, times. that's attempted murder. Yeah. This kid needs help. And because of that, half of my notes are, you should have called the cops. Where is your security guards? Yeah. Why are not other te- why are no other teachers stepping up for this person? Why is she getting fired when this kid is obviously the problem? Right. How is he still getting back onto Rushmore's campus? Right. How do you not have security like with pictures of this kid's face? Specifically to make sure like this kid is a fucking school shooter. Yeah. Like, it's not funny. It's not okay. It's not a, like a, he's not a, like a fun, harmless goofball. Like when we talked about Dennis the Menace. Right. Right. Where that is a kid who truly just 
has a lot of bad luck and like the bad things happen around him and he is well-meaning even though he is a terror and he makes the lives of everyone around him worse. Yeah. Max Fisher makes the lives of everyone around him worse actively with intention and everybody's just like, oh, shucks, you little serial killer. Gosh, look at you. Gee golly. So let's, You're going to wear some lady's skin someday. So look, let's look at some of these actions he takes that are, because like, it is ridiculous. Because in this movie, he starts trying to flirt with his teacher, which right away. Red no. flag. Red flag. She tells him no. He continues to flirt with him. Yeah. He invites her thinking it's a date to the play he puts on and then gets mad when she brings a date. Right. Like possessively mad. Yeah. Series of red flags. Like at this point by now, you need to call the school administration or like a therapist like this. You should have already. But by like this is the third three strikes and you are out like. The conversation with him about telling him you are too young should have been, this is not appropriate, and if it continues, I am talking to admin. Right. Not just like, oh, this is cute, but you need to stop. You can ha, be ha, ha. you can be friendly with your students. You are not your students' friends. Yeah. You do not. That is, that is a dangerous line to walk, and it will usually lead to consequences where kids will cross your boundaries or you will cross theirs. Right. And it is not okay. And to be a professional, you need to not put yourself in that position. Yeah. Which can mean going to your administration and going, I have a problem with this kid. Yeah. You are allowed to have problems with students. You do not have to be the perfect teacher and take everyone on, you know. No. You can be like, I need help with this kid. Especially... If a kid like this is obviously showing himself to be a da- a danger. Right. Right? Like, even at the beginning, before we understand how capable and willing to violence he is, like, he still shows all of the classic, like, abuser red flags immediately with a woman he just met. Yeah. Like, it's... Horrific. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And I refuse to believe that a real woman would not recognize these as abuser red flags earlier. Right? A real woman who was not written by a man. Right. Like, I, you could see the red flags within 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Like, I, one of my first notes is, oh, he's going to fall in love with his teacher and it's going to go badly. Yeah. Like, the way we are introduced to the character of him, like, leering through the classroom door because he's attracted to her handwriting. Yikes. Like, that in itself is it's weird. creepy. Super creepy. It's weird. That being said, it's a great quote that she wrote in the book, and I absolutely love it. It's actually one of my favorites. I missed it. I don't remember. So, the quote is from, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Jacques Cousteau, uh, the diver. Uh-huh. And the quote is, when one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. I mean, that's a great quote. It's a great quote. And I am so mad. One, don't write in library books. <laughs> Please don't write in library books. But two, like when you hear the history of this book uh, at the end of the movie where... Uh, her dead husband brought this book with him to the UK while he was in Rushmore uh-huh. uh, and lent it to her. And then she just kept it for years and years yeah. and they ended up getting married and fell in love. It's really, really cute. It's really cute. Yeah. And then Max had to go and ruin it. Yeah. Cause he's a monster. He's a monster. Who's like incapable of seeing a woman be happy with anyone but him. No, and he keeps doing... Him and Bill Murray's character does this thing that we talk about all the time on the podcast that is not how relationships work, where they keep doing good deeds or keep doing things or spending yeah, money. To put, put nice coins in the sex machine. Right. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. No, you can't spend $85 million on an aquarium so a woman will like you. No, that's not how love works. If she's not interested in you, she's not interested in you. 
And yeah, no amount of bribery is going to get you there. Grand gestures as a courting technique do not work. They're creepy, they're manipulative, and they're gross. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's manipulative. This whole movie is just wall-to-wall manipulation. Because what a grand gesture does is it makes it uncomfortable for the person receiving the gesture to decline. Right. Because you've gone to so much effort and you've put yourself out. And in many situations, it would be embarrassing because it's often in public. And so it's it's a way of manipulating you into acquiescing to a relationship you didn't really want. And we see it in movies constantly. It's basically the way we see men wooing women in movies. And it's terrifying. If a man did anything like this for me, I would file a restraining order. Right? Grand gestures are okay. If you have been in a relationship for a while, you know each other very well, you have discussed with each other your boundaries around giant public displays of affection like grand gestures, and if they're okay with it. Because, like, Max does ask her, do you think your husband would have built you an aquarium? And she's like, yes, and I would have let him. Like, that was very clear. But he's my husband. husband. Like, I had a relationship with him, and he knew my love. He, we had an established relationship. Right. It's not a way to woo someone. Yeah. You can't pay money to get a woman. But again, this is like, this is the problem with always getting the perspective of rich white men is that they think you can just throw money at any problem. Like, oh, this woman doesn't like me. Well, she'd wait till she sees the dump truck of money I can back up to her house. Then she'll have to love me. I'm just like, I could not care less about the struggles of rich white men. I'm so tired of them. I don't care about their stories anymore. I'm like, we probably could have done more Wes Anderson movies. I'm so glad we're not. I dislike this film, him and these films so deeply much. And I thought, So the only ones I had seen before this were I had a girlfriend who made me watch Darjeeling Limited, which is weird. And I think on our men, we'll do it on our men. okay? Mm -hmm. because it's about like sibling relationships. And that's really interesting. And I'd seen Moonrise Kingdom because like the previously mentioned Wes Anderson friend dragged me to it on like opening weekend or something. And I disliked both of those movies intensely because of the like stylistic thing and the like overall unnatural like character thing. You're not a fan of stylistic movies a lot, are you? Not unless they're animated. Fair. I like that's the thing I think that's tough for me is it's like Wes Anderson movies fall in this weird like uncanny valley for me where... I understand that these are not people, but my ability to read people has been so hard fought and so specifically tuned to real people that I just it just doesn't read for me in a way that makes me like upset. But then in cartoons, everything is played big because it's for children. So it's easier to read cartoons, which is why so many autistic people love animation. No, that makes sense. I used to like Wes Anderson movies. Like, I like the stylistic. I like his aesthetic. And it's pretty. I could see that, like. And I would get wrapped up in that. uh But watching it through the lens of the podcast. Yeah. I also haven't seen, like, his early work. Like, I've only seen Grand Budapest Hotel and Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic. Um, You know, like, his more established Fantastic Mr. Fox, that that one is animated. and Yeah, see, I feel like that one I could probably get into. I will also watch any Roald Dahl story. Because, yeah. I love Roald Dahl. Um, I had a whole collection of his books when I was a kid. I had a a Roald Dahl cookbook that was all, like, party snacks that were Roald Dahl themed. It was great. And Wes Anderson very much has said that he is inspired by children's book art like children's yeah. books and specifically roll doll like they set out to kind of write a roll doll type story with 
Rushmore. See, in a Roald Dahl book, Max would have consequences. Right. Bad things would actually happen to him. Look at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The kids have consequences. Right. They fall into chocolate. They yeah. get turned into blueberries. They get turned into miniatures. Yeah. Like Their actions have consequences. That's, that's what it is. I think that's the thing that bothers me. It's like, it's a fairy tale... But without the last third of the fairy tale that explains why fairy tales are stupid and you need to keep your fucking head on your shoulders. Fairy tales are a way to teach morality. Right. And if you don't add that morality aspect to it, it's just bullshit. Right. Like if if you read Little Red Riding Hood and instead, you know, if at the end, although I guess in the original ending of that, right, like the woodsman saves her and chops the wolf open or whatever. But, you know, like, if you if you do Little Red Riding Hood, except, like, she and the wolf are just chilling at the end, then that book means nothing. That story is nothing. Right. Like, it's, it's a story about there being consequences and having to be, you know, wary of strangers, especially in unfamiliar places. And there are ways that you can retell fairy tales where you show a different morality or you have, like wackier things go on like look at the animated movie hoodwink where you have like a completely retelling of little red riding hood from multiple perspectives and it all leads into this like spiraling chase of a supervillain. right like which it was cute it was funny and it was a different telling of a story but again there are actions and there are consequences and there is a message yeah it is not just white boys going on rage storms yeah it does it feels like the white male privileged version of a fairy tale where again, like I've been saying, it's like there are no consequences. It's just like, and then we got on a roller coaster that only went up and that's the end. Everything was great. And then it was hookers and blow until we all died. He somehow still gets a girl at the end and, you know, gets the dance with the girl that he wanted and is friends with the creepy old man who he tried to kill. Like, it pissed me the fuck off. I had to take like a 20 minute break in the middle of this movie and just like walk away because I was seething. It made me mad. It made me so mad. And I also think like, man, Wes Anderson is one of these directors where if we really wanted to if we really watched all his movies we could really learn a lot about his psychology that I'm not sure he knows is on film because and specifically I want to talk about all of his movies that I've seen and this one I think is sort of the seed the kernel of it have one or more inappropriate relationships between someone who is very young and someone who is quite old in a way that makes me be like, Hey guy, what was your childhood? Like, do you want to talk? Yeah. Because I am concerned like this relationship between Bill Murray and Max Fisher is inappropriate. Like also where are Max's parents? Well, his mom's dead. Oh, right. Uh, That's right. That's right. But like, I do like his father. I think his father is an interesting father figure. And I will get into that in a minute. Okay. I still think he needs to put consequences on his son. And he didn't didn't really do parenting. But he wasn't like you can really a lot of it isn't him parenting. He's just like a guardian for Max. And Max does whatever the fuck he wants. Exactly. Um, This Bill Murray character and Max is terrifying like at one point bill murray lets max drink alcohol when he is with him yeah like that's, he's a 15 year old child that and not you are not his parent and not your child yeah right like that this would be a different thing if bill murray is max's dad or even An uncle uncle or gr- close grandfather like, right even that could be okay i think with the parents like no Right. You know, consent you or have, knowledge. But you like, have a relationship with this kid and you know a bit more about him. If you have, like, I'm not saying children and adults can't be friends. I'm saying if you have a relationship with a child, especially a child like Max, who is clearly unhinged, you have a responsibility to make contact with that child's parents 
to make sure everything is above board. Yeah. Because like it's creepy if a 15 year old boy is just hanging out with a 60 year old man without his parents knowledge just all the time. It's it's weird. Also, it's weird as a parent of the school. You don't have any connection to the school. You do not work in the school. You just have kids who go to this school and you're picking up strange little boys from their school. You're just going to befriend a weird child because you like the cut of his jib or whatever. That's creepy, my dude. It's really creepy. And it doesn't help that he then turns around and stalks Rosemary and like turns into a super creep himself. Right. And like at no point does he turn to Max and go, your behavior is unacceptable. Leave her the fuck alone. Right. It's just like if this feels like a parable about what happens when everyone is afraid to parent young men. Right. Yeah, because masculinity is so fragile that you can't actually give a young man like consequences or, you know, rejection of any kind without fear of them, like snapping and committing violence, as we see in this movie. So, like, the entire culture just lets the Max Fishers of the world do whatever the fuck they want and stalk and attack and murder women and probably other people who get in their way because they won't have a fucking conversation about feelings. Yeah. This is not okay. This is not okay at all. Like, I don't know, maybe in 1998. No, because like Columbine is 99. Like we knew these kids existed. Yeah. This trope and this character has been in so many movies and continues to be in so many movies. And we don't call it out for the bullshit that it is. And we continue to not talk to our young boys and men about not behaving this way. No, we keep glorifying and So we it. keep, you know, we keep glorifying the same trope and we keep making it worse and we keep creating further and further generations of fucking unhinged psychopaths. This is why women are afraid to say no to people. Right. Because, because even even like a weird soft nerd like Max Fisher could be a fucking psycho who will cut someone's brake line and sexually assault you because you said no. Twice he grabs her face and tries to kiss her. Yeah. He After she has explicitly said that she is not interested in this relationship is inappropriate. No, the first time she is actively packing up her classroom because he got her fired and is like trying to win her back. And she is like, get the fuck out of my classroom. And he fucking grabs her by the face and tries to kiss her. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's horrifying. And it's played off as, oh, he just made some mistakes and now he's learned from his actions. But he hasn't. No, he Nothing hasn't. changes at the end of the movie. Like, this kid needs to be in jail. Yeah. The only way I enjoy this movie is if the third act of this movie is about how this kid has to sit in a courtroom and hear this woman describe how terrified for her life and safety she has been for months with this kid walking the streets. Yeah. And then he goes to jail. The only way for I... For a long time. The only way I like this movie is if it's from her perspective and it's a horror movie. Yeah. This is a that's fucking what horror is. movie. I, yeah. It pisses me the fuck off. So since we were talking about Max's father, I did want to point out one thing about him that I liked in the first act that doesn't excuse his lack of parenting in the rest of the movie or his inability to question the fact that why his 15-year-old son is friends with people who are twice his age, if not three times his age. Yeah. If your child introduces you to a 60-year-old man by saying, this is my friend, you should have a lot of questions. Yes, many questions. But there is a good scene when we're introduced to Max's dad about Max having to get a test signed because he failed it. Right. And his dad still being supportive about his grades and like still being like, you've got your other things. I'm, you've just got to figure it out and keep yeah. going and yeah. not, and being supportive of all of his clubs and all of like all of the bullshit he does, which I liked. I agree with you. I'm all for supporting kids in what they are good at. Even if that is not school. Yeah. 
However. However. Do you think that adults in Max's relationship have a responsibility to force him to participate in fewer extracurriculars in order to focus on his grades. Oh, absolutely. This should have been a conversation with a guidance counselor or a therapist or something months ago. Okay. Years ago. Okay. This kid has been doing this, and, like, I personally think there should be a limit of how many extracurriculars students can do. I agree. Not just because... One, you only have so many limited time and you can only do so much with that time. Right. But two, you need to relax. Right. You need to be able to be a kid. You need to chill out. And like, I know doing clubs are fun, but as someone who did a lot of extracurriculars, it burns you out. And then you have a meltdown. And it also seems like a kid who, and this part would not surprise me, is also autobiographical from Wes Anderson's point part but it also strikes me as a kid who is bad at forming social relationships doing the only thing he knows like the only trick he knows to try and form those social bonds yeah absolutely i haven't i have a couple notes that are like that are either one max is clearly has some kind of neurodivergence definitely between all of the new hyperfixations and all the different yep. clubs and the inability to yeah. to create social connections to read social to re- connections to write. and to and his impulse control yeah like i think a reading of this that would make a lot more sense and would make it easier to swallow is if you are looking at it through a neurodivergent a lens. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could also read it as... I mean, I guess this is, doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but also, are we explained why Max's mom is out of the picture? I can't remember. She's dead. That's all we know. Right. She died when he was seven. That's all we're, t- we're told. He could also have a complex PTSD... Oh, absolutely. ...surrounding the death of his mother... That is also, you know, CPTSD can often have many of the same Absolutely. traits as, you know, something like autism or ADHD. Like and they that go hand in hand a lot, too. His, like, hyper focus on attaching to another, like, f- older woman Absolutely. character, too. That was sort of how I... Yeah, I read it as, read like... It. I read it as obsessive rather than romantic. Right. Like, it's not so much in his control. Yeah. And it's more of the, like... But, like, all the more... fixation. Re- all the more reason this kid should be in therapy. Yeah, this kid needed help a long time ago. Yeah. And it seems like... I hate that I'm about to empathize with, like, wealthy people, but this comes up in Tannenbaum's, too. It it does seem like there is the sort of inherent neglect of having wealthy parents or at least, you know, upper class uninterested parents. Yeah. Who don't really take an active role. I mean, people from every class can have uninterested parents. But But it's very common in uh, higher classes. Right. And it does seem to be kind of the case in this movie where, you know, the dad is supportive, but he's not He doesn't parent. No. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of Max's behavior that we see can also be explained by him trying to fit in with higher class mm-hmm. class members. Mm-hmm. Like all of the patho- all of the line about like what his parents do of right. where he comes from, of his schools that he wants to go to. Yeah. He's also constantly trying to pay for things for other people. Yeah. Which which is very much like a pretending to be upper class thing. right exactly. because as we know rich people actually don't pay for other people like at all they're no, actually not at all. like the most selfish stingy yeah. people on the planet um, and i feel like a lot of his i forget the character's name the scottish the kid, bully yeah the bully calls him out for it of like being all show and no substance yeah and i feel like a lot of that is from a complex around being a working family with a single income right you know and it doesn't excuse any of his behaviors definitely not but it's how i had to rationalize it to get through this fucking movie <laughs> yeah you gotta do what you can to get oh boy i do like that in this movie wes anderson definitely i'm like you know there's that rule about how you're not supposed to diagnose people public figures but this is our podcast, and that's but what we do. But this is our podcast, and this is what we do. Wes Anderson definitely has some depression in his bones. 
deep, deep in those bones. Because he... the the way he portrays the kind of like not not just the like I feel like so often when people portray depression, what they portray is the really, really, really dark points, right? Right. The points where you're you're sobbing on the floor, where you're thinking about killing yourself, where right. you know everything seems like the end and you can't get out of bed for days at a time. Right. But what he shows so well and what this movie portrays so well and so many of his movies portray so well is that like quiet trudging everyday depression yeah where you wake up sad and you eat breakfast sad and you go to work sad and you go to bed sad and the functionality depression like the functional depression yeah that like yeah i feel like because of the way he illustrates the depression side of things I read into a lot of these behaviors and this writing more as other signs of mental illness Mm -hmm. because it was so well done Mm -hmm. and like so intentional. Right. So that's kind of where like the obsessiveness and the like the possible CPTSD come in. And I feel like if the rest of it was done with more intentionality as the depression is, Mm -hmm. because This is a weird sentence to say, but the way he does depression is beautiful. It really is. And is really, like, really resonates with me. And is it, which you don't get a lot of true betrayals of depression. Yeah. And you don't get a lot of, like, as someone with functional depression who, like, has to keep going day in and day out and doesn't mean I'm not sad. Like, you know, like, you still want to lay in bed all day and you don't want to eat and you don't want to, but you have to because something is pulling you along to keep going. I like the scene where Margaret comes and gives him a, tries to give him a plant and his dad's like, he's not here. And, and we just see him staring out the window. I'm like, same bud. Yeah. Same. Like you still doing the things you just aren't do like, you aren't doing the clubs like you used to. You're not really, participating in life yeah. you're just just existing, existing which is, is very real very it's hard real. and it's real yeah yeah he used to have this bit in my act that i had to stop doing because it made people so sad <laughs> the alexa ray hack story um about how like you know i struggle with suicidal ideation a lot and like the tough thing about it is that like you can't just wallow all the time and you can't just like distract yourself all the time sometimes you have to just go to the grocery store and also think about killing yourself what do you mean you can't distract yourself you have to just like pick out produce while also picking out ways that you might end it all you know which you could see why maybe is a bit that was tough to get comedy club crowds to get into look you don't need to tell people my thursday night plans Yeah. But that's exactly what it is. It's like you can tell that this kid is going through something. Right. But I just need anyone to notice or do or say anything about it. I just need someone to notice, I feel like, is the base of a lot of what Max does. Yeah. And when someone, anyone, even if it's an inappropriate person, takes notice, takes notice, he latches on. Right. Like no one's business. Right. Which unfortunately I can relate to. Yeah. And like I think that's a trap again that like a lot of neglected kids get into where they're just trying to find any kind of substitute for this love and support they're not getting at home. And so, you know, I know this is the case for myself. Like you get they often get themselves into situations where. They will do anything for that attention and validation, even if that thing is like toxic or, you know, objectively evil in Max's case. Yeah. Yeah. And that need for attention will drive kids to do bigger and bigger things if something doesn't work or something gets them that little bit. Yeah. And I feel like, especially with a lot of Max's lines, like there's a conversation with the principal of Rushmore where he's like, why are you trying to get her fired? Right. And Max is like, I'm trying to get her back, which yikes. like, which yikes. again, but, points to this abuser thing of like anything in your life that is keeping you from me 
has to be destroyed and right. dismantled so that there are no impediments to you being with me. Right, exactly. There's also the conversation between him and Rosemary when she's cleaning up her class where she's like, to what end do you use this? Like, what do you want from yeah. me? And he doesn't know. And he, cause like, I don't think he does know. And he's just following that trail over and over right. again because that he just knows he wants that. Right. He wants the attention. He's just, again, like to go back to the neurodivergent thing, right? Like he's just looking for the dopamine hit of someone paying attention to an adult paying attention to him. Exactly. And he doesn't really know what his end game is except to keep trying to get that dopamine hit. Right. He's the, you know, the classic proverbial dog chasing a car. Like he doesn't know, actually know what to do when he gets there. He's just getting off on the chase. Exactly. Which is why this kid needs help and not, just a scolding yeah and like his dad's not a bad parent no which he's is, just not around he's enough. just not around enough and he just like doesn't put any effort into a relationship with his son right which like so many parents do and right. it's not that they're necessarily neglectful on purpose or they don't think they're being neglectful they just don't think about it from their kids perspective and also i think this is probably a harder thing for single fathers oh i'm absolutely sure it is because like men never really learn or many men never really learn to process their own emotions and be present and supportive for themselves so they are incapable of parenting and supporting their children in that way because they just don't have that tool in their toolkit you know? exactly we need to talk about how max's whole identity is only wrapped up into one thing and how he doesn't really have a personality beyond it right he calls it out a couple times in the beginning and throughout the movie where he claims rushmore is his life yeah and then transfers that stability onto Rosemary. Right. You need to spread out your support network. Yeah. You need, if you are in all of these extracurriculars, take some time. Meet the people in them. Right. Actually enjoy them and yeah. don't just have it on as a checklist. Yeah. Because that's going to help you more than... A list of clubs. Right. I mean, it seems more like it's an attempt for him to not be at home. Yeah, that than does it is seem. for an attempt for him to actually connect with other people, which, again, is like, you know, he's doing the right thing that for what he needs, but he's doing it for the wrong reason and he's doing it going about it in the wrong way. Yeah. As someone who has pulled their entire personality into one thing and jumped from thing to thing to thing and not really, you know, wasn't ready to do the self work and like figure out who I was right without the thing, without the thing it's a scary leap. And especially as someone who is about to graduate, it's that fear of the unknown. Yeah. And that, well, if I don't really try, I can't really fail. Right. Which is a hard lesson to learn. And again, if this kid had a therapist, right, he could face yeah. and talk about and process. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's do a lightning round. I, one of my first notes in this is like, oh, finally a character that's almost as uncool as Mike and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my first note was only a nerd would dream about getting cheered out solving a math problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did like the teacup, though. That was a very Wes yeah, Anderson. Was a- that was like the only taste of Wes Anderson I really saw in this movie. Yeah. There are a couple little funny like lines and bits, but it's just like the overwhelming horror. Yeah. Is hard to, it's hard to let it lighten the mood. Yeah, it really is. What is it about younger generations having it easier that drives older people crazy? I don't know. It's jealousy, clearly. It, yeah. Our introduction to Bill Murray is him going, you kids have got it easy. Yeah. Which, I mean, they do. Right. And they are rich white kids in a private school, and he calls that out, which I appreciate. Yeah. But, like, 
why is it a, why is it a thing what i'm really hoping millennials don't get like that but i can see it happening yeah i truly think it's jealousy i think it's just like i wish that i had this when i was a kid and rather than again looking inside myself and dealing with the fact that i feel wounded by having been let down in this way i'm just going to lash out and say that all people should be wounded in the way that i'm wounded yeah that that was pretty much it yeah i feel like this message comes up over and over again in wes anderson movies which is another thing where it's like i want him to sit down with a therapist um it feels like in a wes anderson movie the best way to be a good kid is to not be a kid at all but to be a tiny adult in a business suit who carries a briefcase and is like, you know, a, a stockbroker, but is 12 years old. Yeah. It's, there is no way to be a kid in Wes Anderson movies. It's just be an adult. It's just be an adult, but small. Yeah. Which is like such a classic toxic way to view children. Like, yeah. Children are not tiny adults trying to force them into the mold of just being tiny businessmen from the time they're 10 years old denies them the opportunity to actually learn and grow into who they really are and have the experience of having a childhood. Yup. Which clearly when you're a Wes Anderson type and you feel like you have been forced to be a tiny adult from the time that you were a small child for whatever reason, Clearly, you spend the rest of your life fixating on the experience of childhood and how strange and uncomfortable it is because you never had one. I'm calling you out, Wes Anderson. That's your whole filmography. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I nailed it in one. (laughs) First movie and we got it. (laughs) So can we not watch the rest of these movies now? I don't care if your child throws every curse word that they know at you. You do not lay your hands on that child. Yeah. Ever. They're like our one of our first scenes with Bill Murray is picking up his sons and his son says like calls him an asshole and he turns around and starts punching him. Yeah. Immediately. Immediately. No no like hey we don't talk like that or just like immediately grabs him from the front seat. Not okay. Jesus Christ. I kept thinking, like, does this movie have the vibe of, like, maybe it's set in, like, 1952? Yeah. You know? It really does. Like, it has this kind of weird energy where it's like, what year is it? But the cars are... Cause like It's like, it's what year? It feels like it should be set in the 50s or 60s, but he's graduating in 01. Right. Maybe it was 1901. <laughs> yeah, right. This feels like, yeah, this movie makes way more sense if it's, like, 1945. Right? Come on. Figure it out. Uh, I hate his stupid red beret. It's a stupid hat. It annoyed the fuck out of me. It's It's worse than a fucking trilby. It's just this, like, again, that pretension of, like, a child doing anything to be an adult. Just, like, pick any affect... And because, as we know, adults have, like, real personalities and an affect is just a shortcut to a personality. Right. Um, yeah. It just... It's a stupid The whole act. character just made me, like, simultaneously angry and sad. Yeah. Like, angry at him and sad for him. Yeah. I mean, I feel that's kind of how I feel about Wes Anderson. Yeah. So, <laughs> if that makes sense. So this is a really stupid note and I'm sorry, but it bothered the fuck out of me. At one point, he's talking about all the fish he wants to get for the aquarium. They do not all live in the same environment. I know. It, I noticed that too. I was like, like, putting like, some of those are freshwater fish. Putting like tuna and barracuda and piranha in the same aquarium. Like That's not how it works. Those are different biomes. They're different water types. They're oh, different temperatures. Piss me the fuck off. They're different sizes. Like some of those you would. And yeah, a lot of my notes don't have a lot of context, but I, I just have written precious men and their precious ego. <laughs> their precious, yeah. precious, delicate eggshell egos. Uh, one of my notes was, oh, what was it? Oh, poor baby actors can't take a criticism. Yeah, right. Jesus. 
when they're <laughs> when uh, Bill Murray is stalking Rosemary and just walks into her class outside for no apparent reason. Yeah. The fuck? Uh, anyway, there's a play structure behind them. And I'm like, I've been to that park. I've taken kids to that park. It's wow. like the iconic plastic, like tan yeah. park. And uh-huh. I just like it brought back so many memories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think regarding that same that same scene or series of like uh, series of of moments in this movie I have written. Um, oh, to have the confidence of a mediocre white man and to just go ahead with some crazy harebrained scheme without ever consulting anyone or asking anyone for permission. I would love to have the confidence of a rich white man. Yeah. Fuck. I bet you walk on air. Yeah, right? Oh, there's a scene where Max runs into Bill Murray after a while and... I- and Bill Murray's got like a bad black eye and is smoking two cigarettes at once. And Mac just turns, to, Max just turns to him and goes, are you okay? And I'm like, do you, what do you think? You what, little shithead. What do you think the answer to that question is? I also did like that, uh, as a peace offering to Bill Murray, uh, Max gave him came, found their own BFF pins of yeah. like his matching attendance pins. Yeah, such a fucking dork. Yeah, that's yeah, giant fucking dork. I know he's an asshole. I know he's probably shouldn't have it. I don't want to praise him, but this kid's fucking production design for his play right is fucking stellar. Yeah, this kid needed to be channeling into that. Exactly. This kid needs a good guidance counselor to like channel his energy in a more productive, positive direction. Like he's obviously a pretty incredible playwright and puts on a good show. Yeah. Like why isn't he doing that more? Yeah. Send this kid to a performing arts high school. Right. If he gets, if he's getting expelled, send him there. Don't send him to private public school. Yeah. This is a trope that really bothers me, especially as a glasses wearer. At the end of the movie, Rosemary takes off his glasses to like look at his face for the first time. Uh-huh. Why are you doing that? <laughs> Can you not see my face through my glasses? What? what? Am I not sexy? I, glasses are sexy. Why are you taking my glasses off to make yeah. me look sexier? And also now by taking my glasses off, you've made me squinty and cross-eyed because right? I can't see more than five feet in front of my face without them on. Bothers the fuck out of me. Let people be sexy in glasses. Oh, you're so beautiful when you're blind. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're helpless and I can control you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On on that note, like, I have written that, like, of course, this woman can't be trusted to tell you or know her own emotions. Like, over and over, she says, like, I'm not interested. I'm not dating. Even if I were, you were a small child. And he just, like, continues to to go after her. And it's it's because... It's not about a woman as a real person. No, it never is. It's about a woman as a trophy, as a goal to achieve, as a... She's a prize. uh, Yeah, a prize to add to your fucking gamer score or whatever. She's a Chivo, you know? Yeah. Treat women like humans, because they are. Yeah. Don't treat them like trophies. sex trophies.